Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now age of radio Ladies and gentlemen, it's uh, it's my great pleasure to introduce to you the, the Queen Mother herself, Queen Elizabeth. Hem, hem, hem. Thank you, Jimmy. Well, it's, it's no problem. You know, I'm always quite memorable. You know, Jimmy, I always fondly remember that time I almost starred in Vertigo. I think it's just because Hitch, old Hitch wanted to fuck you. He was not a man who was known for his treatment of women, don't you know? Or, or lack thereof, right, oh. your majesty? Yes, but his his bald head was quite, um, oh, shall we say, uh, attractive? Uh, to each their own, I guess. Don't ask, don't tell, as they said back in my military days. Well, I thank you for the introduction, Jimmy, but I must explain the real purpose I'm here. As you know... I've been a long supporting patron of the Full Screen and Country podcast. And today, I am proud to kick off the final ten episodes concerning Her Majesty's British Film Institute list. Well, thank you very much, uh, Queen Mother. It's a real honor for you to do that. It is my honor, I assure you. Jason, I feel like she's being really nice, but I also feel like she might murder me in my sleep. Well, she is very old and dead, so okay. you, you don't know how to how to deal with them. I wish you both all the best in your journey and hope that you will come to some sort of agreement as to the best and worst of the best of British cinema. I must now depart, for there is a sherry waiting for me backstage. Suddenly I'm Scottish, but I, that's because I love the whole realm. To Scotland for a sherry! Jetpack. There she goes. There she goes again. And I can't hardly wait this feeling time to say I think that actually was the Queen Mother's favorite song. And if you were to write in and say, look, that song didn't come out until after she was dead, I would say to you, she got an early demo. I'm a time traveler, so I hooked her up. She really loves uh, Takeshi69. <laughs> yeah, that's Big her fan. That's her fave. She's got a lot of SoundCloud uh, favorites. <laughs> Jason, you're Jason.
And you're Brendan. I am Brendan. Mm-hmm. And I'm Jason. How presumptive of you. It was nice of Jimmy Stewart to just introduce the show, by the yeah, way. Yeah, that was nice of him. I don't know what I don't know what connection he has to uh, Her Majesty, but... Um, I mean, me and him were just drinking I mean, other here. than that she almost starred in Vertigo, according to her. But that's IMDb trivia lore. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's a legendary uh, <laughs> casting decision. And Jason, this is what we do. If you've never heard this show before, we waste a lot of time. We waste a lot of time, but eventually we'll talk about a British movie. Yes, and because this podcast, we talk about British film. Namely, we talk about the... British Film Institute's top 100 British films of all British time, mm-hmm. as uh, conceived by a bunch of old white crusty dudes. No doubt, white crusty dudes sounds weirder than saying crusty white dudes, and I did not care for it. White crusty dudes, like <laughs> yeah, I don't know, like just, like like they're big, the fans of Krusty the Clown, perhaps, or 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 they're just like their skin is literally like crusting yeah. off. Um, But yeah, that's what we do. And we, like the Queen Mother announced, we are at the final 10. This is the 91st movie on this BFI Top 100 that we've talked about. In horse racing, this is what we call the home stretch. In baseball, this is what we call batter up. (laughs) I I don't think that's true, and I'm not a baseball expert. In soccer, this is what we call a home run. Uh, I would dispute that. And of course, in rugby, goal! I mean, that sounds fine. So, yes, ninety yeah. 91st movie. And Jason, we are talking about a film that is very high up on the list. Mm. It is number six, in fact. Yes. We are talking about Kind Hearts and Coronets. Yes, that's right. I get to say it again, Jason. That music can only mean one thing. It is Kind Hearts and Coronets, starring a lot of Alec Guinnesses yes. and other people. Other old friends of ours. Yes. Um, this movie stars, just to run down the cast real quick, we get Dennis Price. Now, have we seen Dennis Price in anything else? We have not, and I don't think he's in any of the other movies. Wow. Yeah. But Dennis Price as Louis Mazzini. And his fa- his own father. He plays both roles. That explains why they look so much like the, each other. Uh, Alec Guinness as, um, well, there let's we see. <laughs> the, the eighth Duke of Chalfont, the Reverend Lord Henry, General Lord Rufus, Admiral Lord Horatio, Lord Ascoyne, Banker, Lady Agatha Dascoyne, Ethelred's sister, uh, young Ascoyne, young Henry, the seventh Duke, Ethelred's father in brief flashback sequences. So that's that's his roles. Uh, Valerie Hobson we've seen her before she's playing Edith Uh, Joan Greenwood also making another appearance she's playing Sabella what a name what a name Jason where have we seen Joan Greenwood before Uh, she was in uh, Tom Jones was she not as Mm -hmm. as Lady Bella Abzug what Lady Bella what (laughs) Lady Bella Abzug yeah (laughs) the former mayor of (laughs) New York or New Orleans I don't know I Tell me if I'm wrong. I believe she was and the mayor of Texas. She was probably in a different movie, too, we saw. Yes, probably. Um, no, that's the one I think of, though. Yeah. But for uh, Valerie Hobson, we also saw her before, Jason. Mm. She also played Estella in the David Lean Great Expectations. That's oh, Valerie Hobson. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. She's a much nicer person in this movie. Yes, for sure. Uh, 
Who else in this movie, Jason? We got uh, uh, Clive Morton. As the prison governor. I, I, the only other John old... Penrose as Lionel. That's an yeah. important one, too. Uh, Audrey Fields as Mama. And uh, our old friend, Hugh Griffith. Yes, the old drunkard himself. As, in a very small role. Yes. As the Lord High Steward who presides over Louis' trial. Spoiler alert, there's going to be a trial. But, uh, uh, of course, how many movies have we watched that have ended in a trial? <laughs> I mean, I, when this happened, I, the first one I thought of was A Matter of yeah, Life and Death. Yeah, obviously, A Matter of Life and Death, for sure. I also, I my other question is, because we'll get into the plot here in just a second, but I want to ask how many movies have we done that start with the end? That's true, yeah. That's I feel like English this, Patient. And right? this is 1949. Oh, wait, no, English Patient. Does English Patient start with the end or the middle? It, uh, he's pretty much about to die, isn't he? Well, because I guess there's the two parallel stories running in that one. But why are we talking about the English Patient? It fucking We're done sucks. With that. It fucking sucks. We said it like nine, 88 episodes ago. It fucking sucks. It was a long, a long time, mm-hmm. long time ago. But yes, um, you got me on the English Patient now. What was I gonna say? Uh, this yeah. So the starting with the ending, I feel like that's happened a lot. Like you mentioned, the yeah. OEP. There was a there was a record scratch, and he goes, "You're probably wondering uh, how I got here. <laughs> <laughs> how did those kind hearts and cornets come together?" That's right. Um, yeah, oh, these so Alec Guinnesses will tell you. Um, yes, and, and the other one I was thinking of, even with Alec Guinness, was they even did that with um, Lavender Hill Mob, I think. Oh no, not Lavender Hill Mob. The, yes, Lavender Hill Mob, because they start at the end, mm. and he's sitting there talking with the guy yeah. about what had happened. And then remember the reveal at the end is he has him in handcuffs and he's yes. actually being arrested. So that that's another one that and that wasn't that long ago. <laughs> so yeah. what I'm saying is this is 1949. I think even in 1949 where people were like, "Oh, you kidding?" Yeah, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. So this movie, uh, uh, what was his name? Dennis Price plays Louis. Yep. It's directed by Robert Hammer, who again another person who is not anywhere else on this list, hmm. which is crazy for a movie that is number six. You yeah. would think he'd have another th- another movie on there. One and done. It's all he needed. He got to number six. What is he going to do? Fuck over David Lean? Come on. He could. I mean, I don't know. We don't know this, Robert Hammer. I, I feel like David Lean would put the boots to him. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Do you know what director wouldn't win in a fight? I bet you it's Steven Spielberg. I feel like he might be scrappy. Maybe, but he's a small guy. Now, you put him in the ring with Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, Hitchcock, going, Hitchcock going down. No. Hitchcock could just throw himself on top of Spielberg. He'll just spam those leg sweeps like uh, Mortal Kombat. Spielberg might be able to take David Lean, though, because he spent a lot of time with him, so he had time he to size him. him up. He scouted him. Yeah, just like a wrestling match. Uh, wow. <laughs> Folks, uh, email us. Let us know what director would you like to see fight? Uh, which other director? Would you like to see David Lynch take on Tony Scott? Dave, David Lynch now? Yeah, take okay. it on Tony Scott. Uh, I know Tony Scott is dead. Okay, so we'll so say Ridley. He just handed David Lynch the, the tournament. Well, no, David You're Lynch clearly has, to, he has to fight 80-some-year-old Ridley off. Scott. What? He has to fight 80-some-year-old Ridley Scott now. Oh, okay. And then you can have, uh, let's see, let's see, Spike Lee versus Woody Allen. I'd like to uh, see that yeah, battle. Oh, yeah, I would like to see that, too. I would like to see... Um, Ooh, how about Quentin? Nora Ephron versus Troy Duffy. I'd like to see Quentin Tarantino versus Oliver Stone. Ooh, yeah, that'd be a, that'd be a battle. Yeah. Maybe maybe uh, 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 Catherine Bigelow versus, I don't know, Woody Allen again? Yeah, no, that would be deserved, I'm sure. Uh <laughs> J- James Cameron versus um, oh James Cameron versus Ridley Scott. There's some there's some background there. Yeah, well, exactly. Passed gonna, off the franchise. Uh, I don't know. Again, eighty some year old Ridley Scott versus uh, a virile sixty something James Cameron, <laughs> and he's very angry. 
Yeah. Well, the thing the thing is, Jason, Bo Burnham is a director now because he's made uh, two films, and he's going to murder everyone because he's a young man. That's true. That's true. He, and he's, he's, he's spent a lot of time working out, it appears. Yes. So anyway, <laughs> that, was, that was like 10 minutes. Yeah, that was great. People love that shit. You folks love it. You know you love it. And if you don't, uh, well, maybe there's a different podcast for you out there. Uh, oh, oh, and if John Milius was still alive, he would defeat everyone. Yeah, that's true. What are you going to do? <laughs> He's a maniac. This movie, Kind Hearts and Coronets, this mm. is a dark comedy. Yeah. For, uh, certainly for 1949. Yes. Well, just yeah. I mean, this movie... Okay, so this movie... Break down to the barest of bones, Jason. What is this movie about? So Louis is part of a family uh, that his mother was disowned from. It is an aristocratic family, and at the head of this aristocratic family is a duke. And for played reasons that are yes, played by Alec Guinness, he plays everybody. So that goes without saying. He plays almost the entire Dascoin family. Yeah. Kind hearts and coronets too. The clumps. <laughs> um, so Alec Guinness, uh, uh, yeah, he's the duke. But so. Uh, the mother was 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 uh, basically abandoned by this family because she married a an Italian guy uh, who Mar- was not an aristocrat. Yeah, below her station. Below her station, and then he promptly took a heart attack and died the moment he saw his newborn child. Which I don't know what that says about the kid, but Jesus. It was Anyways, so he he's been raised with this idea that this dukedom is his birthright, and he eventually comes to the conclusion, uh, uh, and is uh, solidified after his mother's death, that he needs to do whatever he can to achieve that position, and that results in him murdering uh, all those people to assure, well, most of those people, murdering most of those people, to assure that his position would be, uh, you know, established. Yeah, and it's an interesting, it's interesting right away because I, having read this, I was like, okay, they're gonna make the Das coins really awful, which they do. As some of them, you don't really get like I don't think all of them are truly evil, no. but you get some. Oh, of Henry them, seems nice. Yeah, but you get some of them like you know that are pretty bad. Yeah, and it's like okay, we're gonna do that, and then we're gonna be like, yeah, Louis, kill them all. Well, that's the thing is you can't root on you can't root on everyone. You root on the first guy because the first guy's a fucking dick, and he gets him fired from his job because he doesn't like being talked back to in a retail setting. So I empathize with that, Brendan. But what got me on that first one, even the first one, is that the guy, the one that he kills, the Das coin. Is with a lady and he, who has it, nothing to do with yeah, it. And presumably kills her too, the, the mistress. And he, even, he says, you know, oh, I'm sorry that she had to die, but, you know. Shit, what are you going to do? T- shit's tough. That's the thing is that this character, he this is a comedy, right? But he's very much uh, 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 Patrick Bateman uh, of this era. Like, he's like he's so dry and, like, well, Patrick Patrick's more out there. He, you know, he loves talking about albums and shit. But this guy is very focused. He's very dry. He's very clinical about it. <laughs> well, what do you said? You heard the new Mozart? And I was like, <laughs> well, this is the early part of the 20th century. So he's like, oh, have you heard the new platter of that uh, the Gershwin song, I suppose? Just talking all about Gershwin. Loves him. Uh, but Rainbows yeah. is my favorite album. <laughs> So he very clinically and dispassionately goes and does this. Like, this doesn't bother him in the least, really. This is all about achieving his position. And if it means killing everybody, that's not a problem. Uh, Because I I guess he sees it as a sort of vengeance for his mother's death and for the way they treated her. It's Yeah, it's interesting because, like, then you're watching it and you're like, no one's really the good 
the 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 hero, I guess, at some point, except for maybe Edith. Yeah, I wouldn't say she's a hero, but I say she's certainly probably the most moralistic character in the entire movie. Well, certainly she she does walk the walk uh, that she talks. She talks and then she walks, and the walk that she walks is the talk that she had previously talked. Because she's um, like she's like against drinking to the point judges? where like, ding, I'll allow it. Like she, for instance, does not like drinking. Well, she wouldn't like this podcast. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> uh, but you know. Um, she doesn't like drinking and Henry has to then sneak behind her back to drink and he's like down at the pub drinking which to me doesn't seem wise because it's like it's, it seems like a relatively small town people are going to talk and she does actually hear those rumors after he's uh, passed <laughs> you mean after he gets blown up after he gets blown up by having the, the paraffin wax in his lantern replaced with gasoline the, the, the one of two family members that Louis explodes yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, and when, yeah, you're right. When that happens, and then what I like is that joke where, because um, he basically, yeah, like he scouts Henry a little bit, right, to find out what he likes and what he yeah. is into, and he and draws his interest with the camera because he knows that he's into photography, and then they become friendly over photography shit. Right, and then when they're in the dark room, and he says like, "This is sherry, and this is whiskey," and it's marked like developer, yeah. and he's like, "Oh, well," t-, he's very slightly he's like, "I'll take a small developer." Yes, oh, he loves his sherry. I, I don't understand why British people like sherry so much. I think it's pretty awful. I do want to play a little clip here of uh, of just him scouting Henry because it. Especially at this point, I was like, okay, this is like a serial killer narrating, which he technically is. Yeah. The next candidate for removal seemed to be young Henry Tascoyne, 24 years old, recently married, as yet without issue. I had quite an accumulation by now of Tascoyne data, culled from newspapers and periodicals, and I looked through it for a possible approach to Henry. I found one. I bought the necessary equipment second hand, and bicycled down the following weekend. I had studied a couple of photographic manuals during the week and found that in practice, the mysteries of the camera demanded little more than ordinary intelligence, plus the ability to judge a subject upside down. It was thus indeed that I first saw Henry Dascoyne. Upside down cameras. That's what they had to do back then. But yeah, he's, he's like, that's the thing is that he is a serial killer, I guess, because he kills a number of people, but it's not like, it's not like the traditional idea of a serial killer who does it to fulfill some sort of psychosexual need, right? It's, no, but it's, it's, it's ser- he doesn't seem to particularly get pleasure out of it, but he also is willing to just deal with, like, it doesn't bother him it, either. No, and it's certainly nine first degree murders. Yeah. Or no. at least seven of them. He he plans them, and yeah, he murders, yeah, exactly. Seven planned murders, one uh, unplanned side effect that he, I guess, you, well, you know, you would call it first degree because he still goes ahead with it. Like, he didn't abort because she was there. He still fucking did it. Which one? Are, oh, which one are we talking? The about? first murder. Where oh, he okay, kills the okay, guy okay. And the girl, right? So, as to say, um, my favorite murder. Since we, we should just talk about our favorite murders. It's a great podcast, by the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is it actually a podcast? Yeah, my favorite murder. And okay. Karen killed Gareth, and somebody else whose name escapes me hosted. It's a true oh, crime podcast. Wait, it's not just a podcast about about a tribute to the the film My Favorite Martian, <laughs> and how they how they killed Christopher Lloyd after that movie. Yeah, it was ritualistic. I'm surprised no one talks about it in the news. Anyway, um. <laughs> And replaced him with a clone. They replaced him with a clone that was made the, in Georgia. Start the frogs gate. Um, frogs are gay and they're making clones. <laughs> Alex, get out of the studio. <laughs> All right, I'm out of here. Jetpack. <laughs> Please. So anyway, my favorite 
killing yes in the in the movie is actually when he kills uh lady agatha yes because well first of all <laughs> i was a little bit disappointed alec guinness was playing a woman and we got barely any of that yeah i the, wanted the, some more of the that. only actual dialogue we got out of her was a shh yeah and it says she's a woman in a women's suffragette, and you just see her casually smashing store windows. Yep. And yep. Yeah, she's, she's pulling the Carrie Nation out there. So she goes up in a hot air balloon. She's going to toss out flyers and stuff. And then <laughs> Louie is in a is in a, a room with the window and has a bow and arrow. And this hot air balloon, <laughs> he shoots with a bow and arrow, and it crashes. Yeah, that was. I mean, we don't see it, but that was like the most like cartoonish I think of all his. Uh... Although when he when he assassinates the the general by <laughs> with, sending with the, a with a with a, uh, a simple bomb anyone yeah. could make yeah in, in a jar of caviar <laughs> which as soon as he puts the fork in boom I I, I gotta laugh because like I just I just like the narration with his voiceover because he's so cocky and everything right and he goes like you know I killed him with a simp a, just a simple bomb I made yeah. it home yeah. and I'm like does he have the is he is he the author, the original author of the Anarchist Cookbook? Well, kind of, because the whole premise of this, I don't think we mentioned this, but the, the reason this flashback is happening is because he's writing all this in his memoirs on the eve of his execution for murder. Yes. And by the way, got a, on that note, I, we have to listen to the two guys at the beginning, uh, the two first people we see when they're talking about the execution and, their, mm. and the etiquette, I guess. Yes. Um, I love this. How will he approach it? I should think as the calmest you've ever known. Noblesse obliged, doubtless. A difficult client can make things most distressing. Some of them tend to be very hysterical, so inconsiderate. Well, Colonel, considering the importance of the occasion, I shall retire early. The last execution of a duke in this country was very badly bungled. That was in the old days of the axe, of course. Oh, I, I almost forgot. Um, you must forgive my ignorance, but when we meet in the morning, what is the correct form of address? Your Lordship? Your Grace. Your Grace. I'm sorry, I just love how right away the movie is very clearly a comedy yeah. because it's just absurd what they're talking about, but they're so serious. Like yeah. the person that's going to die tomorrow, how do I properly address this yeah, man? Exactly. The, the, again, satirizing that, that British desire for etiquette and protocol. Yeah. You know, as the, as uncle Ben would say, uncle Ben, is that um, his name? Uncle Owen, uncle Owen, uncle Owen and Ruth. Oh, Peru. Thank you very much. No, I'm talking about a different movie. Don't oh. even worry about it. It's the movie with Owen Wilson and Dr. Ruth. The remake of Blame It on Rio? Yeah, but... Dr. Ruth Ruth has a daughter, Owen Wilson has a son, and they go to Rio. They fuck each other's kids. (laughs) But when Owen Wilson fucks Dr. Ruth's kid, it's not that weird because they're pretty much the same age. Yeah, no, but uh, the the (laughs) 10-year-old boy that Owen Wilson has his child... <laughs> That's a different situation. Dr. Ground. Ruth is like, I'm a sex doctor, and I'm like, turn this off. <laughs> this is, I'm gonna get arrested. My boy, I'm going to show you some nice things. Oh no, that is awful. No, no. Why did I make Dr. Ruth sound like Fagan? I'm the worst. Oh. No, yes, that's... Mm. You want to see some things, my pretties? Yeah, no, no, we're going to get... No, you can't. You I'm can't. Dr. Ruth, you can't. ideas. No, no, you're banned. You're banned from saying things. Woody Allen. Woody, Dr. Ruth has done more for sex than Woody Allen could ever think of. I hope so. 
I want to talk about the um, the narrative style because I know we said it, t- it starts at the end. Yeah, it's the flashback. Flashback. It's the classic. The classic. But it's but it's but the first like five ten minutes is like some stuff that's told very quickly. It's flashback and a flashback. It, and it kind of yeah, it's very modern though. Doesn't it feel like that to you? Like the whole movie feel, has feels like it has a very modern style. As a, it, it, I, I mean, it's not that you know it's any zippy cuts or anything. No, but, but it did feel a little faster paced than the other. Uh, comedies we've watched with Alec Guinness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, um, and remember, guys, this is Jason's like hot take area. These Ealing Studios comedies with Alec Guinness, and this is an Alec Guinness fan. Yeah, no, and I love Alec Guinness, uh, but I, I mean, spoiler alert. But I, I do like this one more than than the others, and uh, uh, a lot of it has to do with the humor, I suppose. It's actually funny. It, it's not necessarily laugh out loud funny, Brendan, but it's smile at the TV funny, Brendan. Brendan. Oh. Okay. What are we talking about? The, but I just like the, it's yeah. So the the style of it. So yeah. it's like there's long montage. There's even montages. Yeah. There's like you know there's narration throughout almost the entire thing. Like which I guess isn't like modern, but it felt to me like like you said like American Psycho or yeah. like a thing where you have an unreliable narrator. Yeah, you're like getting that came and, to mind, and you're hearing his voice and how like just again calm and cold and precise it is. Like that he's not to use the word chuffed yeah. by any of this shit. Did you know that the in the book that this was based on? Yeah. Um, mm. This character, this lead yeah. character, was actually supposed to be half Jewish. Yeah, his name's like Israel. His name is literally Israel. Yeah. <laughs> like, you might as well you might as well say it's like a Mexican called like Spain or something. Yeah, like, yeah. what the fuck are you doing? This is or, or taco or something <laughs> terrible. Like, it's just yeah. awful. Um, but but yeah, he was supposed to be he's supposed to be half Jewish, and you know. I don't know why this was a, a, a thing that motivated them in 1949, but they were they were trying to curb the anti-Semitism yeah. for a while. Yeah, they were like, "Hey, Alec Guinness, you used up any last bit of uh, 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 goodwill with the Jewish community with Oliver, so we're just gonna Oliver twist. Avoid it. Yes, don't don't bring Oliver Sorry. into this. They were much more sensitive. Yes, well, more anyway. But also, this movie doesn't. I mean, I don't know what how this movie would have been better or worse with the guy being Jewish. I don't think it makes a difference by making him not Jewish. Yeah. Apparently there are like still like a few slight references in the script that to him being Jewish. Um, oh, oh wait, when he so gets he, circumcised. Yeah. That scene. And of course, <laughs> when he was wearing the yarmulke. Yeah, of course. And he was, when he was singing Hava and Nagila Hava. Right. Those are, those are, those are still, they were just left in there. Cause they said hey, that could be anybody. That's right. <laughs> wait, what were you going to say? So you said you don't know why they changed him from half Jewish to half Italian. Well, I mean, I know why they would have done it, uh, because they, you know, again, after the war, they don't want to foster anti-Semitism, yeah. and it was an easy change to make. What I what I was saying is that I don't get how the movie would have been any different. Like, like it's fine that they changed it, because I don't know that it makes a difference, is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. It was fine to change it, that the movie was probably the same thing it would have been, that him being half Jewish wouldn't have made it much of a difference. No, it wouldn't have. It's like when people get mad that, like... Man, you can't have Idris Elba play the lead role in The Dark Tower. That guy is white. Is he, though? That's the thing. It's like, I, I don't Even remember. if he is. I don't remember Stephen King ever writing in any of those books what uh, Roland's race was. Even if he is, though, who the fuck cares? Who cares? It has nothing to do with the character. Doesn't, it, that's it. If, 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 that's the thing people don't get. If the race figures into the character's story for some reason, then yeah, it makes sense to make them a specific race because you're trying to tell a certain story. But like... I, I operate, and I probably said this before, but I always operate under, or I try to operate under the idea that if 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 there's no reason to make anybody a given race, then make it mixed up, mm-hmm. make it diverse. That's good. That's good for people to see. That's to normalize. It makes society better. 
You heard it here first, folks. Jason doesn't like white people. So, uh, kind hearts and coronets. Uh, you guys can get me on Parlor if you want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> I owe them a lot of money. You do. Oh, hello, Jason. I come to collect your check. It's it's in the mail. I sent it. It'll oh, you a, you sent it to me? Yeah, I sent it via Quebec Post, you the provincial the... mail service that your government established recently. Oh, bien, oh, bien, 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 bien. Oui, 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 oui. Merci. Okay, bye-bye now. <sighs> oh, he jetpacked so hard you dropped your pen. Oh, he hit me in the face with it. Damn guy. So back to Louis for a second. I we talked about how Louis C.K. No, uh, a less worse person. Uh, Louis in this movie who murders. Wait, didn't nine this people. guy? Didn't Louis in this movie jerk off in front of a bunch of people? Uh, did I see cut. the American version? You, you, that was definitely not the American version. Nineteen forty nine, like the Italian version, maybe. Yeah, it was the special Italian version. A young Donald Sutherland cameo. <laughs> Okay, so I was going to say, <laughs> Louie, the main character yes, in this oh, that movie guy. that we watched and that we're talking about sure, right now. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he, uh, we talked about how, you know, he's not, he doesn't, he's not the typical, like, you know, you don't root for him, really, because you start to see, like, oh, wait, he's doing this, like, for his, he's doing this in, in, in defense of his mother at first, and you believe it, yeah. but then it gets too meticulous and too, like, unnecessary? What? Well, so, and at the beginning of this movie, like, there's an initial idea that you are going to sympathize with him because his mother's kind of been fucked over by the family. They're being, you know, they're going to have to live as poor. It's not their choice, but they're there. Um, but very quickly, when he's at this job and talks about, like, like tolerating this and, and being so, like, uh, elitist about it, it's like, all right, fuck this guy. He's classist. He's like, he can't do, he doesn't like doing middle class work because he feels he's above it. So fuck him. And Jason... Not only that, but there's also a scene, it's a very brief scene, but it's a scene where he says he's keeping track of the births and deaths. Yeah. And I want to listen to that for a second. Okay. Every lunchtime, I went to see how my inheritance was proceeding. Sometimes the deaths column brought good news. Sometimes the births column brought bad. The advent of twin sons to the Duke was a terrible blow. Fortunately... An epidemic of diphtheria restored the status quo almost immediately and even brought me a bonus in the shape of the Duchess. Fuck, I didn't realize how dark that was. Right? <laughs> He's literally saying like, well, thankfully this plague came around and killed these two children. And he says thankfully not just because it's an obstacle out of his way. It means he doesn't have to do it himself because you know he would have. He'd have murdered those twin babies. So it's funny you should say that because in the book, he literally murders a child. And they were like, we're not putting that in the movie. <laughs> that, that's a hard sell even in 1949. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's even just a hard sell to make that character likable. It'd be a hard sell at today. All. Like, be... you have to not necessarily like this character, but you have to care to follow them. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to turn him just into a straight up monster. No, the minute you turn them into a child murderer, <laughs> you cross a dangerous line. There. Well, then you immediately have to have them dealt with by somebody else. Yeah. And then he has that map as well. He has like the uh, the family tree. And yeah. He, oh, yeah. And, and he exits it out. <laughs> and like I said earlier, he's scouting people like he's a serial killer. He at one point, he says like the reverend character, who's also played by Al Guinness, of course. Because he's trying to figure out, I guess he has some sort of order to how he wants to kill people. Mm. And then he said, you know, I decided the reverend was next because his sermon was so boring. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Wow. It's, it's that you're turning into something else. 
it, it all, all this killing, Brendan, it makes me think that this would be a great video game. Like, this would be a great expansion for the Hitman series where... Wiping would, out the dust coins? That's it, yeah. The, 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 you would have to go between levels and hunt these people down and kill them to eventually become the Duke. Like, that would fit in with that whole, like, with the Hitman kind of series, uh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that does sound like a typical, like, stealth, all these stealth missions. Are you sneaking into the mansions mm -hmm. and... You know, you serve him the caviar with the bomb in it. Yeah, and or or like in a Hitman, you may have different options for how you would go about it. I nope. would love to see somebody license this fucking movie. No, nope, it's to gonna be, a be video directly game. from this movie. Kind Hearts and Coronets, the game, available Thursday at Walmart and wherever games are sold, sold, sold. Which is which actually isn't many places when it comes to PC games these days, folks. You go to a, you go to the game store and what do you see? You got fucking Bejeweled on CD and you got a, a Warcraft battle chest. I don't want that. I already got that. I think it's Dennis Miller, but I'm not sure. No, it's not. It's old crusty gamer guy. I remember when I was a boy and I could buy every video game Gary, at a store on PC. But now and then they got rid of my big boxes. I love my big Gary, boxes. Gary, get rid of them. Thanks, Gary. No problem. Um, I think what I, I know I know I usually save this for later, but I think it's funny that Al Guinness uh, <laughs> was originally offered four roles and he read the script. He said, I read it on a beach in France, collapsed with laughter on the first page and didn't even bother to get to the end of the script. I went straight back to the hotel and sent a telegram saying, why four parts? Why not eight? And then he ended up playing nine. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, who else has played multiple roles in movies? We got Eddie Murphy. Of course. Allie Guinness in this movie. Allie Guinness. Remember? Got, in this movie. Yes, do you remember I do that? Remember, I do remember. Okay. Uh, we've got uh, Michael Keaton in Multiplicity. Mike Myers. Oh, certainly Mike Myers. I mean, uh, Michael Keaton. Okay. <laughs> what? I mean, he's, he's playing very similar. Well, he played he played three, four, four different versions of himself, but they oh. were all unique. They were clones, but they were unique. Oh, okay. So, I mean, that's that, that fits the criteria of playing multiple roles, does it not? Yeah. And of course, and the king of them all, Peter Sellers. Mm -hmm. Oh, and then of course that that time uh, William Shatner did a musical version of Julius Caesar, where he played everybody except uh, Calpurnia. Of course, that'd be silly. Oh, yeah, that would be silly. <laughs> Friends, Romans, countrymen, let me hear your ears. So, uh, having talked about all these characters, I have to ask you the question that's on everyone in America's minds. Yeah, uh, will you run for president in twenty twenty four? Well, while I am in fact old enough. To run for president, I lack one thing, and that is being born on the soil of the United States of America. <gasps> mm. Do you realize we're live? I don't have a legit birth certificate. We're live. Yeah. Pal. <laughs> Can I take it again, please? <laughs> we're live, we're pal. Live. I know we're live, but still, I want to take it again. Is oh, okay. Uh, Connor, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's try no. this again. Folks, uh, folks, come with me on this journey as I try this again. <laughs> no, no. I was going to ask you. Who is your favorite of the Alec Guinness characters? Uh, uh, Lord Horatio. L Lord Admiral Horatio. I am the least shocked I've ever been <laughs> in my life. Because it's so silly. Because he his his death seems to have nothing to do with Alec Guinness. Like he literally just gives the wrong order and then and then won't and then of course has too much pride to back down from it because he tells him to turn port. And they're like, Don't you mean starboard, sir? And he's like, No, port! And then they turn into another ship and they both sink. Admiral Lord Horatio Descoyne presented a more difficult problem. He scarcely ever set foot ashore. And I was beginning to feel that this task was beyond even my ingenuity. When he was conveniently involved in a naval disaster, which arose from a combination of natural obstinacy and a certain confusion of mind, unfortunate in one of his rank. Bring her to port! 
Surely you mean starboard, sir? Port! Both ships sank almost immediately. Though fortunately all hands were saved, save one. Admiral Lord Horatio, obstinate to the last, insisted on going down with his ship. Um, do you know this is based on a real person? Yeah, I, I read that. Yes, a historical captain who, who did something very similar. Yeah, it was a collision between the HMS Victoria and the HMS Camperdown. Yes, sir. It was Admiral, Admiral Tyrion? In 1893, so it was allowed to be funny. Yeah, and he went down with the ship, and I believe his last words were, were recorded as, it's all my fault. Which is very dark. Yeah. So in this movie, it's not handled that much but, uh, that way. By the way, when they did that scene, too, um, Alec Guinness could hold his breath for a long time. He said, just put put me underwater. I can do it for the whole shot. It'll look really good. Yeah. So they did it. He, you know, he's, he's saluting, and the water's... So it gets over his head, and then lingers for a bit, and it cuts. He said he could hold his breath for four minutes uh, underwater. So they did the scene. And they forgot to go get him. So they're, they're, they're hanging around, and then someone goes, hey, did someone get Alec? They pull him out at exactly four minutes. Isn't that the fucked up thing? That, that means in some alternate universe, he died during that movie, and then who played Obi-Wan Kenobi? Donald Sutherland. Absolutely. Now, that's a name I've not heard in a long, long time. A long time. And you know what they say? You know What's that line from the Italian job? Uh, the word that he has like an acronym for. Oh, what the fuck was it? I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It guys. doesn't matter. Big fans of that episode are mad right now. Well, they can go listen to it again and enjoy it. I'll re re edit it. You should you should like slow it down or speed it up just enough so it's exactly the length of the movie so they can watch it like a commentary. <laughs> Perfect. So anyway. Anyway, okay, so he's your favorite. I would, I was gonna say him too. Ju- that is one of my favorite scenes, but I think the um, the Reverend is maybe my favorite. Uh, he's the oldest. He's the definitely the oldest Alec Guinness character, which is funny because Alec Guinness in this movie is really he's the, that actor is only like thirty four when this movie comes out. Mm. And he's playing all sorts of ages, um, but the, the Reverend does make me laugh, and simply for this one little exchange as uh, as Louis. Uh, scouts him and uh, is having dinner with him. At last, he did as I'd hoped and invited me to dinner. The Reverend Lord Henry was not one of those newfangled parsons who carry the principles of their vocation uncomfortably into private life. However, he exhibited a polite interest in the progress of the Christian faith in Matabele land, which I was at some difficulty to satisfy. The SPCK provided us with a large number of copies of the good book translated into Matabele. But as none of the natives can read even their own language... You speak Matabele yourself? Not as a native. It would be most interesting to hear a sample of the language. I'm afraid my Matabele is a little rusty. Oh, come, my lord. Daniel, cast into the lion's den, for example. This is a colloquial rendering of course. Most interesting. 
You know, I just love how when when he's doing that, like you know, he's making up that language on the spot, yeah. and uh, Alligan is horrified, frozen reaction at it. It's like he's such an old white man that he yeah. hears the slightest thing out of culture, and he's like, "Oh, interesting." But also, it's completely made up. <laughs> it's completely made up. Yeah, um, Alligan is doing a very good job as an old person, although I don't think he's quite as. I, I think he's acting more decrepit than maybe he even was by the end of his life, mm-hmm. but he's still very good. Um, so in that scene, he gets poisoned uh, by our friend and very quick. Yeah. Very quick poison. Very quick poisoning. Uh, interestingly, though, rather than simply put it in the guy's glass, he puts it in the entire bottle, which is risky because then what if he insists you have some of the drink too? Like you, you, he could have messed that up big time, but he, but thankfully it worked out for him. He stuck to his guns. Yeah. Yeah. And the old man was enough of an alcoholic that he just drank it and then promptly died. And at this point, I think in my notes, I probably wrote something like, how is nobody figuring this out yet that there's something going on? Well, I mean, yeah, even if you don't know who it is, you're like, um, six of our family members have died in rapid succession. Because mm. mm. we don't know. I don't get a sense of how long he was planning this for or go, or how long it took him to kill everyone. I like to think it took him 36 hours. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's true, but I will say that it it goes from like ridiculous, obviously the hot air balloon, yeah, um, kind of silly. The the ratio dies by nobody actually killing him, and then the the caviar bomb to yeah. probably the most brutal murder because he go. I forget which das coin this the, is. The the oldest, the, the actual duke. Is where it he, where he takes him out into the field? It's and, not the actual duke because the actual duke dies on natural causes. Well, no, he's okay. So he takes the actual Duke out to the field, right? Who's the one who dies of like shock? That's that's Lord Ascorn. Oh, okay, okay. Who is who is next in line for the dukedom after the original okay. Duke dies? Okay. So he goes out to the field, he because they've been going hunting, right? And while he's out there, they catch a poacher, and the okay. poacher is caught in basically a bear trap, a man trap, if you will. And he also says though. Um, about, but Louis is not poaching because he specifically says, "I would never participate in a barbaric thing like that." A man saying this who has killed at least four or five people. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. No, but I mean, no, no, he, they're hunting. These other guys are poaching because it's not their land; they're stealing it. Um, so he catches one of these guys in a in a trap and then lets him go. And, and Louis's like, "Wait, isn't it illegal to have those traps on the land?" And he's like, "What are they going to do? <laughs> they keep their secret and they go on with their life. They go and tell them, they get arrested. You know, so." Uh, he takes him out on another hunt and then he catches him in one of these man traps and proceeds to explain his entire plan to him, James Bond style, while he smokes a cigarette. But it works. And then, it works. And then proceeds to blow his fucking brains out with a shotgun. Now, we don't see it, but that's the implication by the way that he pulls it so that he could be like, oh, he got caught in the man trap and dropped his gun and it went off. That's his, Well, that's his whole story because he even has a line where he gets down on one knee and he's like, yes, this this would be about the angle that it, that it, it would hit you would fit with my story. And that part is real dark because he he's... Like you said, he's like a Bond villain at this point. Yeah. He's definitely getting some like enjoyment out of this, like too much. Well, because he he has to let the guy know the plan. Like that's clear that he's getting something out of it at that point. Yeah, um, he's like I've I've murdered many of you. And then the death of the Duke, when told to his brother the Lord, uh, is enough to cause the Lord to take a stroke and then die within a month. Right, which is a pretty funny, which is a pretty funny scene because they're having like the funeral march, mm. and then all of a sudden he's narr- he's narrating. He's like. And then, of course, he died of a heart attack later on that month. And then you just see people behind them also carrying a coffin. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, we're, we're, we're doubling them up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but he was happy that he didn't have to kill this guy because this guy was the one one of them that was nice to him because he gave him a job and, and eventually made him partner once he realized he was part of the family. And Yes. We should talk about the ladies in this movie, Jason, because there are two major female characters in this movie. Which do figure into the plot. We've got uh, Sabella. And maybe like the smartest people in the movie, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. We got Sabella, who is um, uh, somebody that it seems that uh, Lewis has kind of grown up with. Like, yeah, he's always had a thing for her. Always had a thing for her and kind of wants to marry her and she keeps turning him down. And then eventually it turns out she's going to marry another guy named Lionel. A real a real ponce. Yeah, a real real lug. Yeah. Um a real other boyfriend from the office. But that Roy. Get, but that idea even gets complicated uh, a bit at some point by the fact that he murders Henry, young Henry, but then falls for young Henry's wife. Edith. Edith. Yeah. Um, and who's a bit of a prig, as he says, uh, with <laughs> he her with her anti-alcohol stance. I will say though, though, in regards to Sabella, I, I have a scene that is the perfect example of her character. So this is when so so he's already he's already had the first guy killed, the first Guinness, and uh, he's wrote he's written in a, a, a sympathy a letter of sympathy of condolences to the to the father, and you know he takes such heart he takes this to such heart that he gives him a job at the bank. So he kind of, you know, worked his way into a job at the bank. And Sabella has previously told him, I'm not going to be with you because she's very clear about I'm going to be with someone rich. Um, and then when he goes in, to, and he goes into the other room and she's there and this happens. Hello, Louis. You were very pleased with yourself. So do you. I have news. Oh, so have I. What is it? No, yours first. Lionel and I fixed a date for our wedding in two months' time. My congratulations. No, I should congratulate him. I compliment you. Now yours. Nothing as exciting as yours. I went today to see Lord Ascon Dascar and my cousin. He has a private banking house in the city. He offered me employment at once at five pounds a week with excellent prospects of promotion. Louis, I'm so glad for you. Louis, do you remember? What? Once, in this room, I kissed you. Yes. And you were harrowed. Yes. I made fun about you being related to the desk coins. I'm sorry. You take it more seriously now? Yes. Louis, kiss me. To show you forgive me. No, it'll be wrong. Your pledge to Lionel. I behaved like a cat that night. I like you when you behave like a cat. You're a person who must dance through life, Sabella. I hope Lionel won't tread on your feet tomorrow. That, like, you can literally see the moment in that scene where she's like, oh, you're rich. Hey, remember when we used to make out here? Yeah. That was hot. Maybe we should start doing that stuff again. Yeah. It's clear that she knows what she wants when it comes to a relationship. She knows where she's going, you might say. She knows where she's going. There it is. She knows how to get there. She knows what she wants. I don't think that's how it goes, but nice try. No time to talk. Staying alive. Staying alive. We're going to get sued. We're going to get taken down. 
DRM, DCMA. It's going to get us the algorithm. All right. And then we've got Edith. Yes, who is very different from Isabella. Yeah, no, very prim, very proper. Uh, nice lady for sure, but very judgy. Uh, uh, and also talks about her husband in terms of we. We do not drink. Yes. Well, her husband is also cheating on her, right? Because he's talking about he goes to the inn. I thought that meant he was like no, with no. Ladies. It means he goes to drink. Oh, because that's where the that's why he didn't want his picture taken at the inn. Because, I thought he was also fucking around. Well, that, I mean, the, the, certainly that could be implied because I imagine it would probably happen there. But I think it was mainly intending that he didn't want his wife to find out that he was having a pint down at the inn. And it's a really great gag too when uh, when. <laughs> That guy, when when he dies, because it's just all you see in the background is a big puff of smoke. Like you hear the explosion, and then Louis has to like her back is to it, yeah. and Louis just talking to you know Edith. And then at one point he has to be like you know, oh Lord, looks like they're burning some leaves or something like that. Yeah, and she's like, wait, no, not this time of year. And then realizes it's like something oh. happened. Oh, let me go check. Yeah. So yeah, Edith, yeah, Edith, and then we have that, uh, th- those moments like he's debating which one to be with, and I feel bad for both of them. I feel worse for Edith. I, uh, Sabella, yeah. you know, she's kind of not she's great. She's kind of got her own game going on that but is, feel becomes clear at the end. Because he literally, like, he's planning, he's like, I'm just going to marry Edith and she's going to be the duchess. And then Sabella comes around. He's like, well, like, Edith you know, doesn't accept right away. And he says, well, I can fuck around with Sabella while I'm waiting, I yeah, guess. Yeah, exactly. He's stringing her along for his own purposes while clearly intending to marry Edith. Because Sabella is debating leaving her husband for him. Yeah. Which, again, she has her own motives, mm-hmm. but still. He's still stringing her along. And Lionel is just fucking caught in the crosshairs of it all. So, yeah. So he kills everybody. He eventually kills... And deals with all of Alleginus. He becomes the Duke. He becomes the Duke. And there's like a big function. And he's like up on the dais. And he's giving a speech. And he walks down the receiving line meeting people. And one of the guys he runs into... and one of the guys he runs into is from Scotland Yard, which is and it's where a the funny, police live. It's a funny setup too, because they they're like each person is saying like what they are, mm. like you know, like oh, the Prince of Attenbury or whatever, yeah. da, 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 da. and then he's like, oh, Gerald from Scotland Yard or something. Yeah, he, he mistakes him for someone. He's like, no, of the yard, of the yard. Yes, is a police officer. Please come with me. So he is then uh, summarily arrested for the murder. Of Lionel. Of Lionel. A man now, he did not kill. A man he did not kill because we saw the confrontation. He goes to see Lionel, uh, asks him over, and it turns out he's broke. and Begging know, for money. Begging for money. And, of course, uh, uh, our hero doesn't want to give it to him, so they get into a scuffle. Lionel at one point threatens suicide, and then he's been thinking about doing it. And But they get into a scuffle. He pulls a knife on him, but Lionel just knocks him out and leaves him there. He doesn't, doesn't kill him. No. Or... Lewis knocks him out and leaves him there. Lewis knocks he doesn't, him out. Yeah, he doesn't kill him. He just kind of knocks him down and, and gets out. Yeah, just gets out of there. And then he turns up dead, and so he gets charged with the murder. And this is the whole irony of it, that he's on trial for the one murder he didn't commit. And uh, then it turns out... Well, first off, he, he requests trial in the House of Lords because, as the Duke, he's now a Lord, which means he is in the House of Lords, and you can request a trial, I guess. Uh, so they do that. So they get all these old men together with their wigs, and they have a trial. Again, reminiscent certainly of the end of uh, Matter, Matter of Life, Life and Death, death. but just temp- as, but just, but, but, but less, temporal, less white in this movie. 
because there it? were a bunch of black people in that trial scene. Remember? That's true. That's true. You, they were, you were getting there. you were getting upset about all the segregation. That's true. There, there were there was no people of color even in the room. Uh, well, they were. They were just in their own section. No, no. I mean, in 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 the House of Lords. Oh, 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 Lord, no. No, certainly not. So yeah, he has this trial, and for some reason, he's questioning witnesses. I don't think that's how trials work, uh, unless he was representing himself. But I thought he had a lawyer. I think it was just him. Maybe it's just him. He's that he's that stuck up that he thinks he can represent himself in a, in a trial. And he gets declared guilty. Yeah. And so we find out, and yes, we'll get into the details of this conversation in a bit, Jason, and something that maybe doesn't play so well in 2021. Uh, but we find out that Sabella, I mean, Lionel did kill himself. Yeah. Sabella found a suicide note, hit it. Yeah. And made it seem like... And then perjured herself on the stand, claiming that it was like a lover's quarrel. Yep. And that uh, and, and that Lewis had murdered him. Lewis had murdered him. And then later on, when she visits him... Well, let's, let's take a listen and see what happens when she visits him. And guys, uh, buyer beware. <laughs> There's some dicey language here, uh, which you might not expect for a movie from 1949. Yeah. But you'll find out in a second. I was, uh, I was not prepared. Do you remember in the old days... How we used to play eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Catch a nigger by his toe. If he hollers, let him go. Out goes he. Quite a lot of little niggers have gone out, haven't they, one way or another? And every one of them a death coin. We do seem to be a very short-lived family. Of course, Edith is only a death coin by marriage. So I suppose her prospects are better. Except for a miracle. Like the other one we were talking about. So there it was. She would find the suicide note. If I, in return, would murder Edith. So we now have two miracles in mind, do we? Yes. I wonder if they are in any way dependent on each other. I suppose perhaps they might be. What do you think? Time's up. What do you think? Poor Edith. I'm afraid all this is going to take years of her life. Au revoir, Louis. Au revoir. What could I do but accept? After all, I could always decide afterwards which of these two little niggers would finally have to go. So, Jason, before we get to the obvious thing, um, she, yeah, she basically said, you know, I, I she's blackmailing him. Like, yeah. it, it, and then I also want you to kill Edith. Like, does she, she knows, right? That well, because at one point he had joked about murdering everybody, and I don't think she took it seriously at the time, but maybe she eventually put it together. Because you get the same sense that she knows, right? Yeah, at yeah this well, point, no, clearly, if she's thinking that he'll actually do it, she must know something's going on. Like, oh, it's a, it'd be a miracle if I found uh, Lionel's suicide note. Also be a miracle if Edith wasn't around and we were together. Hmm. Figure that one out. Yes. And now he's like, well, shit, I can pick between whatever woman I want. Although he doesn't say woman. Jason, they say the N-word a few times. And yeah, I they wasn't did. expecting that in this no, movie. That was, um, it's funny because I think most of the times we heard the N-word in a movie, there's usually been a... Re- I suppose Dan Busters was the one, the other one, where it was kind of out of nowhere. <laughs> that one was like... And what I will give that movie at the very fucking least is that that was a real dog with that actual name. Yeah. And in 1950... Yes. Whatever. They were like, you know what? 
we don't have to rename it. <laughs> sure, sure. And then, and, but the fact was is that this that song that we know is by a tiger by the toe. Um, mm. You know that that was how that was at that time. Uh, you know, uh, so Man, we didn't argue it's historically accurate. Although I will point out, as I understand, that was dubbed in the American version yeah. to Tiger. Yes, in the American version, they do not say the word that you just heard no. because, again, it's it's a pretty it's a, it's a horrible word. Well, and it's a even word in 1949 that, they yeah, were like, but, Ugh. but in in uh, in America that would cause a bit more consternation maybe than in England. Right, and I'm wondering like what the like. Because because that was a common word used, I think, in regard to Indians too, uh, as far as like the uh, colony in India. It feels like, and pardon me for saying this word, but it feels like in the uh, the equivalent of how they would say this word, maybe at this time in England, is like how some people like t- fifteen twenty years ago would say the word like retard. Yeah, kind of. Right, kinda. like Where it's just kind of an all it encompassing. It didn't, it didn't have the same kind of like charge did in the states because of of the whole culture there but yeah. it also was still not a nice word to say no certainly people. not a not a excusable in any form no. but i'm just saying that in 1949 england it doesn't sound like it has the same well no it's and almost I, like it's almost like, a country we don't maybe don't have the same kind of large black population that would exist in the united states well and because like when people use the r word that I already said, so I don't know why I'm calling it the R word yeah. now. When people use that word, you know, 10, 15 years ago, a lot more, um, it was never like evoking a certain kind of person. It was just like, you're stupid. Yeah. Or even if well, they said I, like, you know, someone is like, I don't know, like when people said somebody was a fag. Yeah. Well, uh, that that's was, gay. That's gay. I mean, silly. It's silly. It's like stupid. It. So, But that's the same thing. You're still equating yeah. that with something that's silly and, that's, and stupid. So it's still hurtful. And that's kind of the evolution of language uh, to some extent, though, is you come up with a polite word for something because an old word is is rude. And then over time, that word you know, will eventually become the rude word. It, 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 it's just the cycle of language that happens. It's like idiot, moron, and th- words like that used to be classifications of people. But over time then became insults and were changed again. It's like how sometimes I call you a sloppy meatball looking motherfucker. That but, used but to be that, a term of endearment. Oh, that was, yeah, that was a wonderful thing. But now you can't call people that. Well, and especially you with, your, with your Italian heritage. <laughs> yeah. I'm so Italian. Look at me. Look at my <laughs> swarthy black hair. <laughs> That's amore. Well, the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie. That's the other, so the other difference, Jason, you mentioned that in the U.S. Uh, they they dubbed that scene, hmm. but then the other difference is we get to the end of the movie. The suicide note is quote unquote. Oh, I just found it. Yeah, and you know he's released very quickly. Yeah, <laughs> he's so released yeah. from prison to a crowd to a crowd that was hoping for his death. A mob, <laughs> and he sees Edith and he sees Sabella and he's about to make his choice. Some man comes over to him, who by the way is Arthur Lowe, who we've definitely seen before. He was in This Sporting Life. Okay, and he was in um, something else we saw. I, we don't do research, guys. We you know the movies we've seen. Um, but he's like he's out there, and this guy comes over, and he's like, because he was writing his memoirs, right? Louis was writing his memoirs, and he said, oh, I'm here to buy the rights to your memoirs. He's like, oh, yes, my memoirs. And then it cuts to inside the jail, yeah. and he's left his basically confession because yeah. he thought he's he was right on die. the table. Right on the table for anyone to grab of all the murders he did. And then the movie, and this version of the movie cuts there. Yeah. That's all we so you see. don't know what's going to happen. He might not go back to jail. Maybe he finds it in time. Who knows? It doesn't matter. In the U.S. version, they very clearly have a police officer reach over with his hand, pick it up, and look at it, and then the movie ends. Yeah, because yeah, so we have to know in America that he got his just desserts. I'm sure it was in, like Hayes Code shit. In 1949, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Yo. Like, Henry Hill ain't making it through this one. So he gets his comeuppance, really. He does. Yeah, His arrogance uh, is hubris, you would say. He, he, he gets it. I would say even the movie at that point is like, okay, no, he's not such a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say, too, we, you know, we mentioned Alec Guinness a lot, but Dennis Price in this movie, he's wonderful. great. He's wonderful. He's, he's wonderful. Such a, such a great, such again, a hard, precise role. A hard part to play yeah. because he has to be the lead. He also has to be kind of despicable. And you also kind of have to care, like I said. He has to be despicable in what he's doing, but he also has to be charismatic enough that you enjoy him. Like, he's an enjoyable character to watch if you don't, even if you don't like him. And like any good villain, he has legitimate reasons at first. He has his reasons anyways, and and they are laid out pretty clear. Well, yeah. Much like Thanos, there is a method to why he does it. Maybe he just goes a little far. We, we, We empathize with his mother's death and then he got fucked over. Yeah. But do we go so far as to to condone his murders? Well, like I said, especially because some of the Daskoins are not bad guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all the bad ones, sure. But do we have any other bit uh, major things you want to talk about before we uh, read some bits and or some bobs? I feel like we'll see him in the bits and bobs if we need to. All right. Well, then, Jason, we're gonna take a little break. We're gonna hear from some sponsors, and we will be right back. Hey, job radio. There's a bit. There's a bob. There's a bit. And a bob, a bob. And it bits and bobs and bits and bobs and bits and bobs. Maybe some bits and bobs will come the way to me. Maybe tomorrow I'll find some bits and bobs. Until tomorrow I'll just read bits and bobs. I'm living on the air in Cincinnati, Cincinnati, WKRP. I'm at WKRP, and now it's time for Bits and Bobs. With Jason, and sometimes Brendan. Hey, Jetpack. The theme song singer just died. I guess he was dead, and then he went back to heaven. Yeah, no, I mean, if the guy that sang the WKRP theme, he has to be dead. I, I'm surprised he did this for us. That was really nice of him. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. Also the singer of the Littlest Hobo theme song. Say hi to the guy that played Herb for me. Uh, Burger King mascot? Yeah, that okay. guy. Okay. Yeah, he's got to be dead. Uh, I like the background of the opening credits. It's very lacy, and it reminds me of Wallpaper. So check that out. I what kind of it? recommendation is that? <laughs> check out the opening credits. I saw that there was an area listed, like an aria, sorry, not area. An area. Not area Stark. England. An aria. <laughs> Uh, from an opera, which we do hear the the uh, dad, he he sings the aria at some point, and that's pretty cool. I think this movie might be one of the most well written ones. Just yeah. the, the just the turn of phrase of everything. Somebody I I read somewhere it was described as very Oscar Wilde, and mm. I could see that for sure. Mm. Dry and witty, yes. Dry witty, and a lot of like double meanings. The only thing worse than being talked about, Brendan, is not being talked about. <laughs> oh heavens to Betsy. I like that because he's a rich prisoner, he's sitting in his cell and he's got like wine and cigars and uh, like all the comforts that he could possibly want, despite the fact that he's on, you know, a prisoner that's sitting there for murder. And they come in and like ask him about his last meal. And he's like, oh, I'll just have this and that. It would be too early for a heavy meal. Yes, if I'm going to die at eight o'clock in the morning, I can't be eating a large breakfast. Large little breakfast. Um, I love how, um, and then, by the way, at that point in the movie, when, because that's the be- near the beginning, my whole thing was like, oh, my whole thing was like, 
And again, at that point in the movie, because that's near the beginning, right? Mm. My whole thing was like, um, does he know something? Does he know he's going to get away with it? Like, what's going on? And, but, but you, but, and then we do see the conversation later where that blackmail is done, but I don't think he makes a decision either way, does he? During that scene where she blackmails him? Yeah, no, I don't know that he confirms or denies. So maybe she just assumes he's going to do it. And he hasn't. Um, he just hasn't had a chance to fill his end of the bargain yet, because so, he literally walks out of prison and and she's there. So maybe, maybe like, maybe like he does know. He figures she's coming to get him. Because again, he's very calm. He's hmm. very relaxed. He's almost sociopathic. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. Um, and he also says that the when when he's be, when he's coming up through the ranks and before he starts getting like more money, he says the worst insult is to work as a general assistant at the drapery. Yeah, the worst. I p- three pitiful years. You he says, "Classist pig, fuck you. You're t- you're paying your fucking dues. Maybe you would understand the working man better if you have to work with them." I do like when he works. Um, when he talks about how much he makes in each department, and he says, "Ladies' underwear, top pay, like twenty, <laughs> like something, whatever it is, dollars." I worked it out today in Canadian dollars. It would be about eight hundred and six dollars a week. That's so, pretty good. So that's, that's pretty good. Pretty good more than work. I make. Yeah, working in uh, ladies' underwear. That's not bad. Well, damn. Good job, Brennan. Thanks. Um, so the, the, the dukedom was bestowed upon the original duke for services rendered to the king. And I thought it was funny that they mentioned that because of services rendered by the duchess, it was also, uh, it would pass matrilineally uh, through the mother. as well. uh, uh, Explain that above my pay well, grade. Well, because in, in, in the aristocracy in Britain, traditionally it was the male that would pass down their like property and their title and all that shit. Right. So, you know, your oldest son, for instance, would uh, inherit it. And if you didn't have, and if you had a bunch of daughters and one son, the son would get it. But if you didn't have a son, then the oldest daughter certainly would get it. And, and that would pass through her, but only in that specific situation. That's why we have Queen Elizabeth II, because the, the, you know, King Edward VIII resigned, resigned, stepped down, abdicated, and then George the Sixth was made king, and he only had two daughters, so the oldest daughter got the job. Hmm. Um, but yeah, in this family, you can you, you can the the dukedom can pass through the mother, so that's why he is eligible. Which is an interesting thing that they went so far as to make that little thing, because that's not the normal thing in the aristocracy at this time. But it it's necessary to make this plot work. He's very detailed. It's interesting that they couldn't have made him. Maybe his father would have been the one that was alive instead of his mother. Mm-hmm. But also, I guess maybe the idea of a man marrying below his station is just unthinkable to people in 1949. It certainly wouldn't happen. Um, I did notice that his, ma- his major decisions always stem from the female characters in his life. Yes. His mother, Sabella, and Edith. Yeah. Those are all his major decisions come from. I, I want to highlight this quote. Uh it is so difficult. Wait, it is so difficult to make a neat job killing people with whom one is not on friendly terms. Well, yeah, I guess you you want to get them where you want them. You gotta, you know, you gotta be friendly. You gotta engage. You gotta learn. You gotta understand. Yes, I also love his subtle drunk stumbling, stumbling when he's waiting for one yeah. of the desk. He just keeps days. drinking. He just keeps drinking for days while yeah. he's waiting for them. Uh, but he's patient. So I think part of his motivation is that he wants to get a, a 
Sibella as his wife, although obviously that changes as time goes on, but one of his motivations to be Duke is so he can have the money because that's one of the reasons clearly why she's marrying Lionel is because he's got money. He goes to the house for visitor's day, which is a thing they used to do uh, for extra income, was that they would let the the locals come in and assuming they were dressed right, uh, they would let them pay a little admission and then walk around the fancy house. So that's how he gets to see this fancy house of the Duke for the first time. That he'd only seen in a painting beforehand. I was very angry when he got fired for talking back to Ascoin, but that's just that's me because I work retail and I deal with shitty customers. And thankfully, I've never gotten fired for talking back to a customer. But you know what? He was poorer than him, so yeah, exactly. He deserved it. Yeah. Uh, uh, we also have the quote where the where the title is basically said. Because uh, Edith at one point says, was it not, I forget the name of the person she says that, that this quote is from, was like they said, kind hearts are more than coronets and simple faith than, normal, than Norman blood. Yeah, I think it was Tennyson. Tennyson, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Which is like, yeah, that's, that's like her whole philosophy. Is like, is like uh, it, it's, you know, it's not everything's about class. No. No, but but a lot of this for him is is about revenge because at one point he quotes he says an old Italian proverb: "Revenge is a dish which people of taste prefer to eat cold." Jason, what is the simplified version of that? Revenge is a dish which is best served cold, and that's from Force Awakens. And it's very cold in space. Force Croc. Awakens. Yeah, that's the one. What is Star the Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan, baby? So I don't know if they st- if they took it specifically from this movie or if it literally is an old Italian proverb or if it's just one of those things that people have been saying for 10,000 years and nobody knows where it's from. I, I did laugh when I heard like the proper yeah. English version of Revenge <laughs> of the Dish, Best Served Cold. is the most extraordinary quality of middle age for a man of 24. That he is, yeah. He seems very old for his age. No, that's what he says about Lionel. Oh, but he also seems very old for it's his age. It's a great insult. Uh, let's see what else we got here. I said this would make a good video game. He puts on a disguise to deal with the vicar, as what we about, saw in the clip. What about when they're dishing on cremation? One of the oh, at the funeral. Like, oh, the, the disgusting practice of cremation. Like, oh, I wouldn't want to have my loved one burned up, and then she's like crying because her fucking husband's dead, who did burn up. Exactly. <sighs> uh, he says. He says. I think it, I don't know if it's Sabella or Edith, but he says she's pretty enough in a suburban way. Like, what does that even mean? I guess uh, they must look down on the suburbs. You don't live in the city, you don't mean shit. But you don't live in the country, you're not cool. When uh, when Alec Guinness is dressed as a lady, he looks like Terry Jones in drag. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't it, like it's the least convincing drag. <laughs> Although let's let's special mention uh, that scene where we see all the different fam- members of the family. It's it's like a it took like four days to yeah, shoot. It took a while. They had to mat out everything and have him dressed up in different costumes, but they made it work and it looks good. I mean, at the time, I'm sure it was amazing. Apparently, the cinematographer during that time, he was staying in the in the studio overnight because he yeah. had to make sure no one touched that camera for four days. And it was a very like it was a very like I've been smoking all night and people are coming close to the camera and he's like ah yeah no because you know? we you don't want to blow this we got to get this done right. Ugh. Man, movies were harder to make back then. Very much so. Uh, you got to respect the the kind of effort that people had to put in to make movies back in the day. He almost had a. a did you think there was going to be a sitcom moment at some point in this movie? Because I predicted a sitcom moment that didn't happen. No. He's waiting for Sabella to come over, 
and Edith is at the door instead. And I really oh. thought we were going to have like a double date. He's, he's dealing with Edith in the kitchen and Sabella in the living room type deal. Like a threes company type oh, situation. I was, I was praying for it. I was like, please, please have this be the film that inspired threes company. Like, 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 like Mrs. Doubtfire. He's like running back and forth between them and putting on a different hat or something. Yeah, exactly. Wait, that what? What? What do you think <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire is? Well, I'm saying he, he's, he's not dressed up as a woman. Oh, hello. And he's like, whoop. Got my hat now. Now I'm now I'm Alan again. <laughs> I'm saying in this movie he would be wearing a hat. I'm sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Oh, uh, Henry was a cuck, clearly because he wanted to share his wife with the world. He said she had too much good and he wished he could share it. So he just wants to watch other guys fuck his wife. I think is what that says. Wow. Uh, what else do I got here? Uh, he was trying the House of Lords. That's very fancy. We see our buddy who's drunk and he's great. Uh, Wait, Hugh Griffith? Yeah, I don't know if he's I don't know if he's drunk yet. Oh no, he's he's clearly hammered. <laughs> I have to assume. But yeah, that's that's basically what I have there. That's it. That's all. Okay, well, I just want to talk a little bit about the background of the film. Please do. Uh, so in 1947, uh, the scriptwriter named Michael Pertwee. Was a scriptwriter at uh, Ealing Studios. Why do I know that name? Who's John Pertwee? I know that name. I know that name too, but I don't know. I don't know what it is. But he he was uh, he wanted to adapt uh, a novel called Israel Rank. That's the guy's name originally. The autobiography of a criminal. Um, the writer uh, the writer of the book said that you know the the plot of the novel was dark and included the murder of a child. Like I said. And it was very different. Um, of course, the character was half Jewish. We talked about that instead of half Italian. It said, quote, Mazzini's ruthless using of people, notably women, and his greedy pursuit of position all seem to conform to the stereotype that the anti-Semite has of the Jewish person. Yeah. They don't say Jewish person here. Uh, <laughs> they say something else. Uh, but the head of Ealing Studios, Michael Balkin, we've heard this name many times, mm was not convinced by the idea of the movie saying, I'm not going to make a comedy about eight murders. <laughs> um, he basically, he chose the, you know, Robert Hamer as a director and said, okay, good luck. You were trying to sell that most unsaleable comedy to the British irony. Good luck to you. <laughs> uh, he, Robert Hamer came on as a director, did not like uh Pertwee script. So he wrote the script. He rewrote it with a guy named John Dighton, who has also written a couple movies on this list. Uh, and he said, "These are this is what he was thinking when he when he uh, when he wrote it, which answers the question on my other podcast. Even though this is a movie we would never cover, I got it. I think Pertwee, I think John Pertwee is one of the doctors from Doctor Who. <laughs> Perfect, we got it solved. Uh, but this is what he was thinking. He said, "What were the possibilities which thus presented themselves? Firstly, in that of making a film not noticeably similar to any previously made in the English language. Secondly, that of using this English language in a more varied and, to me, more interesting way than I had previously had the chance of doing in a film. And thirdly, that of making a picture which, which paid no regard wh whatsoever to established, although not practiced, moral convention." This also came out at the same time as Passport to Pimlico, or produced at the same time as Passport to Pimlico and Whiskey Galore. So they were all three yeah. big hits. So Ealing was in its, 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 its prime. Yes, this was right at the apex of Ealing. Yes. Um, the costumes, there's some interesting things about the costumes, is that if you notice, Louis's costumes get more and more fancy as the movie goes oh. on. Uh, his suits start to fit him better. 
Uh, Ale- for Ali Guinness, they said the costumes were less important. They were more co- because Ali Guinness is such a strong actor that they were just, you know, banking mostly on his facial reactions and uh, and the makeup. <laughs> Makeup's done a lot in his career, Brendan. And we've talked about that yep. <laughs> several times, at least once. Um, and that I think. Oh, and I should note this. This is the most important fact of them all. Valerie Hobson married a man named John Profumo. And Jason, you may know John Profumo because he was the focus of a big sex scandal, which was then dramatized in the movie Scandal starring Ian McKellen, directed by Michael Caton Jones, who directed, say it with me, Basic Instinct 2. I rest my case. Wow. What a what a lineage. Did you ever see Basic Instinct 2? Did you do that in your other podcast? <sighs> no. <laughs> I don't remember the, I, I didn't see the original. I don't remember it being remembered as a great movie. Just, you know, we all know why we remember it. Sweaty Wayne Newman. Well, you would, that's the first one, not the second one. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's why we remember oh, that one. Okay, okay. But the second one, surely, surely. Oh, yeah. So do, we, do we see a guy like uncross his legs and see his cock? I hope so. I mean, that would make sense. <laughs> Wait, I like how you said that we remember Sweaty Wayne Knight and not Sharon Stone. <laughs> well, yeah, we remember Sweaty Wayne Knight because he's looking at Sharon Stone's um, areas. Mm. swimsuit area that's right jason this movie i feel like it's been a while since we said this this movie goes to the baftas nice yeah not the oscars at all but it does go to the baftas and it is nominated for one one award does not win what do you think uh best adapted screenplay best british film oh wow the big one also nominated that year passport to pimlico and whiskey galore but the winner the winner is a movie we are talking about on our last episode baby Uh, third man third man nice uh, we talked about how the... It's a big year. That's a big year for this list. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this movie received a warm reception, although maybe not the, as much as it is re- talked about as a classic now, but certainly a warm reception. Um, some people said it was uh, it was a little too long. Um, some people said that the light satirical touch with which mass murder is handled and the words are so seldomly treated with any respect in the cinema... Uh, Bosley Crother of the New York Times said it was a delicious little satire <laughs> on Edwardian manners and morals. Uh, people really loved Alec Guinness's nine performances. Although one person says that Dennis Price seemed pitifully outclassed every time he comes up against a Guinness character, which See, I don't I, agree. I disagree. I disagree think Dennis strong. Price holds his own in this movie. He's great. Yeah, which because I expected to not... No, to him to be nothing. And that's one of the more interesting things about this is that Alec Guinness does all these supporting roles, but he never takes focus from Dennis Price. Like no, he, not at all. He, he does his job. He That's why that, that's the kind of actor that he was. He could be the star if needed be, but he was so good at falling into those supporting roles and doing what was necessary for the movie without just drawing attention by his very nature. Jason, there was a sequel to this movie. Really? In May 2012, kind of. In May 2012, BBC Radio All right. broadcast a sequel to the film called, and I swear to God, this is the title, Kind Hearts and Coronets Like Father Like Daughter. <laughs> that is a stupid title. Sounds like a porno. Um, in the movie, Unity Holland, the illegitimate daughter of Louis Wait, and Wait, you said Sabella, movie. This is BBC sorry, Radio. Sorry, in the radio, in the radio show. Unity Holland, who is the illegitimate daughter of Louis and Sabella, is written out of the title by Edith, Duchess of Chalfont. Unity then murders the entire Dascoin family with all seven members played by Alistair McGowan. Cool. So there you go. I mean, I guess if you're going to do it, may as well do it for cheap on the radio. There you go. 
That's kind hearts and cornets. But Jason, and we kind of spoiled it a little bit early on, but I know you have some kinder things to say about these cornets <laughs> and hearts. The hearts. I do love them both, cornets and hearts. They're all kind. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed this movie much more than the other uh, Alec Guinness Ealing type comedies we've seen before. Um, it, he just was was more entertaining in this. The whole cast was great. The, the plot was fascinating. I mean, overall, it was enjoyable. Like I say, it's not a laugh out loud comedy. You're not going to be holding your stomach uh, watching this, but you're going to smile a lot and you're going to appreciate the satire. So I, I get why it's up this high because it is it is a solid picture and it is one that would be interesting to see remade now with modern sensibilities. Like, But please get someone... Could a, that- could a Ryan Johnson take this and make it into something? No, they then they complain that he put a girl in it or something. <laughs> Please make this not from the team that did Whiskey Galore. That's all I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, no, no. Somebody that's got uh, somebody that has like a modern edge, but like can take this plot structure and make something new from right. it. No, Jason, I'm in agreement. I really like this movie too. Um, I mean, I think I've enjoyed the Ealing comedies with Alec Guinness a little bit more than you. Yes, uh, which makes me a better person, more cultured. Sure, why not? Uh, <laughs> No, but I, I think I, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And, um, I, you know, I think this was the perfect movie to finish off Alec Guinness mm-hmm. wording. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Are we doing phrasing still? <laughs> on, this, on this list, on this BFI Top 100, because we have no more Alec Guinness movies left. And I'm surprised. I, I mean, we could have just blown our wad in the first eight episodes, but we, we could have. We could have. If you'll remember, we originally rolled uh, Man in the White Suit as our first episode and then decided against that. And that happened much later. Yes. But, uh, yeah, no, I agree. I think this is really good. I also don't know if it's number six for me. That seems super high. That does high. seem pretty high, but... But know. I think it's up there. But I would say this movie kind of got me in the way The Servant got me, where it was more surprising. Now, I would say yeah. I like The Servant more. Yeah. But, but like, it similarly kind of, like, surprised me with what it ended the up being. The Servant is so good. It is very good. But, Jason, that it, that does it. That is, that is it for Kind Hearts and Coronets. But now, it, it is getting... It is getting super tense because we're waiting for one movie to come out of this yeah. goddamn envelope yeah. Jason. We, we have we have nine movies left brendan but you folks you know we we are desperate to watch carry on up the kyber we have nowhere to go but be disappointed by it so uh be ready for that we've been hyping this thing for a hundred episodes oh, you almost. watch we're gonna fucking hate it yeah we're gonna hate this movie it's gonna be so boring but we we don't care. We want to watch the fucking movie, and today could be that day, ladies and gentlemen. It could be that day. Someone actually asked me if this was a bit, and I swear to God, it is not a bit. We we've literally we, we have not we, yeah exactly we have not intentionally kept this movie off the list. It's just it has not come up yet. Yeah, it's just it, it, the envelope eludes us over and over again. Yeah. But now we're going to find out what movie on the BFI Top 100 that we are going to talk about next week. Jason is going to draw and blindly hand it to me. Yes. And then I will read what we are doing and how we could get there. Could it finally be? Could, could oh. today be the time? Is there any? Okay. I just wasn't sure what there's any. Okay, Jason. <laughs> Jason. <laughs> We are doing number 99 on the list. And it is. One, two, three. Carry Carry on on up the Kyber. Fuck yes. (laughs) 
I swear, that was not a bit. We did not plan that. It fucking happened, folks. It finally happened. Carry on up the Kyber. Woo, man. Uh, get ready man. for a veritable shit fest. Oh, this is going to be such a letdown, guys. You, <laughs> you cannot wait till next week. Holy shit. It is finally right. It took us 92 goddamn movies. 92 goddamn movies. And what's interesting is that today, Brendan, was the, was the, like, the day that we were recording this episode was the day that they finally pulled the last Americans out of Afghanistan. And so this movie is set in Afghanistan, so it's going to be very appropriate for next week. Holy shit. Well, and also airing at a much later date. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But you folks get it. You, you, I mean, I know, I know the, the cycle is very quick these days, but you'll remember that. This is a day that I have waited for for a long time. A long time. I, I, am, I am gobsmacked. Wow. Finally, finally. God damn it, yes. So next week, we are going to talk about Carry On Up the Kyber. I don't even know if you could find the goddamn thing. It's out there <laughs> somewhere, maybe. Yeah, well, Brendan, Brendan has some elves that have uh, helped him out, so we I got watch it. that. Don't even worry about it. It's probably in a box set. You can probably buy a Region 2 box set. Yeah, I've got my 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 region free DVD player. Nice, very good. <laughs> so there you go. Wow, I can't believe I'm saying this. Next week we're going to talk about Carry On Up the Kyber. But Jason, they can find us all over all over the place. They yeah. can find us on, uh, of course, our home base is Age of Radio. But they can find us on all the podcast apps. They can find us on Twitter at uh, FSAC Pod. That's for Screen and Country Podcast. Uh, they could find us on Facebook. They could find you on Twitter. At Jason D. McLeod. That is M-A-C-L-E-O-D. We can chat. And Jason actually has nine different Twitter accounts, but uh, he operates them all from one. I, I have one sock account for every toe. He's consolidated them. And I've lost two toes. <laughs> I don't know what I, I don't know if you know what that means. I know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, okay, there you go. So Jason, there you go. You got your stuff out. We got our stuff out. We we we're excited for next week. It's gonna be a good time. It's gonna be a sloppy good time. But until then, I just have to say to you, God save the Queen. God save the screen. And for screening country, I'm Brendan. I'm Jason. We, Brendan, are going to the fucking Kyber Valley. Woo-hoo! Or, I guess the Kyber Pass. I think that's what it is. It's a pass. I'm excited! Get ready, folks. Prepare yourselves. Move up. <laughs>